Yes, I promised that I would um, bring some research to that word, right? Because we've been singing in our birthday song, Dear Scholars. So um, according to Webster, there's some synonyms to it. So you guys can uh, pick and choose. Um, some of them, I'll pick out some of the highlights, was egghead, intellectual, um, was artisan. So anyway, those are some of the sentiments. And just looking at the words that are like it, I mean, it seems kind of odd to put it in there, scholar, you know. But the anonyms are really funny. There's blockhead, there's nitwit, nincompoop. So I'm sure none of those you want to replace that word with. But in any case, I guess it'll stay scholars for now. It's been sung that way for many years. So you look in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 5. We're, we're continuing our, our study here in Joshua. And we're coming to one of the more well-known stories of this book. This is uh, in Joshua chapter 6. We're covering, uh, we're going to be looking at some of the highlights in Joshua chapter 5 and 6. But Joshua chapter 6 is the conquest of Jericho. And so what we'll do first is we'll read the selected portion Maybe we'll just read um, we'll read up to from chapter five to uh, verse thirteen. If you start there, and then we're going to go to say verse twenty. So Joshua chapter five and verse thirteen. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold. A man was standing opposite him uh, with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, rather I indeed come now as the captain of the Lord of hosts, the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell, on his, fell to his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? And the captain of the Lord's hosts said to Joshua, Move your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Chapter 6. Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its valiant warriors, and you shall march around the city. All the men of all the men of war circling the city once and you shall do so six days and also the seven also seven priests shall be shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets and it shall be when they make a long blast with the ram's horn that you will hear the sound of the trumpet then all the people shall shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up straight. Every man will go up every man straight ahead. So, the, so Joshua the son of Nun called all the priests and said to them, "Take up the ark from of the covenant, and let seven priests carry seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark of the Lord." And he said to the people, "Go forward, march around the city, and let armed men go on before the ark of the Lord." And it was so that when Joshua had spoken to the people that seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward 
and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went on before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark. And while they continued to blow the trumpets, And they continued to blow the trumpets. But Joshua commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout, nor let your voice be heard, nor let a word proceed out of your mouth. Until the day I tell you, shout, then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord taken around the city, circling it once, and it came to the camp and spent the night in the camp. Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew the trumpets and the armed men went on before them and the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord until they continued, while they continued to blow the trumpets. And on the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp and did so for six days. Now it came about on the seventh day that while that they rose early at the dawning of the day, marched around the city in the same manner seven times only on that day they marched around the city seven times and it came about at the seventh that when the priests blew the trumpets Joshua said to the people shout for the Lord has given you the city and the city shall be under the ban it and all its belongings uh, belonging, all it belongs to the Lord only Rahab the harlot and all, that, and all who are in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent but as for you, only keep for yourselves these things under the ban, lest you covet them and take them. Take some of the things under the ban, so make, so you would make the camp uh, of Israel cursed and bring trouble on it. But all the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and blew the trumpets. And it came about when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, that the people shouted with a great shout, uh, and the wall fell down flat, so the people went up straight into the city, every man straight ahead, and took the city. And we'll just stop there. There is a few more other verses, but the instruction of Joshua preps the next story, uh, that they were instructed not to take any of the things under the band. What that means is that there were things devoted to destruction, and there were things devoted that were going to go into the treasury of the house of the Lord that belonged to them belong to the Lord. This was something not new to them. Um, this we, this were, these were commands that Moses gave them while before they were still in the wilderness wandering around. They were going to be instructed on what to do while they're in the land pursuing warfare and victory. And they weren't going to take the, the treasures of the land, not everything, right? God was going to give them cities to dwell in that they didn't have to do, uh, build and fields that they didn't have to plant, but there were certain things that were going to be given uh, to the treasury of the Lord or to it would be the tabernacle. But in any case, before we get here, since this is the first chapter of the conquest, uh, Joshua, I think the last time that I was up here that we talked about, it was is 24 chapters. And the first five have nothing to do with warfare, but from six until... About 11, I think it is, is where there's conquest and there's battles. There's Ai, and then there's the battles of the uh, there's the there's Gibeon in that whole affair with that city and deceiving the children of Israel and, and Israel makes a pact with them. And then there's the battle with the kings of the south and north, and the rest of the chapter is just Joshua dividing the land, and 
you would say, well, the interesting part seems to be in the middle. But each part of this book, the more that you read it and the more that I was looking into it, is very applicable to the Christian life, especially the fact that the preparation that Joshua had to go through and the children of Israel had to go through just to get to victory. Um, we mentioned the last time I was speaking, too, is that the, um, the whole conquest of the promised land is not a picture of heaven that I would see. I think it's been mentioned before, but there's a lot of battles and there's a lot of wars. When you get to heaven, I hope there's not going to be that, right? You hope that you can rest from these things. But there's going to be battles and there's going to be wars. It reminds us of the Christian life. When you were saved uh, or when somebody presented the Lord Jesus Christ to you, did they tell you that you're going to struggle a lot as a Christian, right? Think about it. When a person who's not a believer, right, they're under the, the power and the slavery of sin, they have no conscience for those evil things that they're doing. Now, all of a sudden, you've been given a new life. Now you're struggling against that old nature, right? The body of sin has been done away with a spiritual circumcision, the New Testament tells you. But the flesh is still a part of you. And now there's going to be that battle, right? And now you're going to have an enemy, the devil. And the world's going to be against you. So the Christian life is a battle. But it's a battle that's already won, right? The Lord Jesus Christ is victorious over that. But to experience that victory... Just as they did, right? They were called to go to the land. Did God give them the land immediately? He told them that everywhere that you walk, that land is going to be yours. And so they had to go out physically and walk and take the land, right? God gave it to them. Go out there and do it. And guess what? Even after that whole conquest, Joshua tells them in the end when he's uh, Going over their history, there's still more land to take care of. There's still more land to conquer. Go out and take the land and uh, uh, claim for yourselves the spoils of what God has given you. And so it's a constant thing. Um, now, and I say that, but there is still, you know, there's, there's peace in the Christian's life, right? I don't want to make it sound like this is something where it's constant, but... Think about when you're outside of Christ, you know, the, the things that you didn't have to deal with before, but now being in Christ, uh, it's very different, right? And so the Christian life is a warfare, and God has even given you tools and me, those who are Christians, to have victory, right? He calls it the armor of God and the sword of the spirit to be offensive, the shield uh, to deflect and to absorb the attacks of the evil one. And so God has equipped you for warfare. And this book is about warfare. Um, the first chapter uh, was mentioned uh, last time where I was up here, but it's the charge to Joshua. Remember, Joshua was Moses' servant. God was grooming Joshua in the wilderness, right? Moses was going to be the man to take them in the promised land, but Moses forfeited that, uh, that privilege, Remember, he did not treat the Lord as holy, and he struck the rock twice. Him and Aaron, both of them died in the wilderness. So Joshua was going to be the man. Joshua, in the Greek, is translated Jesus. So this Jesus is going to be the one to take him into the land. But Joshua was being groomed by the Lord uh, in the first five, uh, first four, the four books before, uh, not including Genesis but is being groomed by the Lord, right? He was born into slavery, and he was attaching himself to God's man. He devoted himself to the things of the Lord. He is always at the tent, the tabernacle, the center place of God, where God dwelt. He never left it. 
And so Joshua is being groomed. So here in Joshua 1, it's the charge to Joshua. And the charge is, my servant is dead. Right? Moses has been the pinnacle of that, I mean, probably one of the greatest leaders of that nation, you would say. But now he's dead. He's gone. And God says to, Mo, uh, to Joshua, you're going to be the one. Go forward. And he gives him the same promises that he gave Moses. And so what we take from that is that God can use a person like me, a person like you, and a person like Joshua. Wasn't that Joshua was the greatest tactician that came out of West Point? He wasn't the right man in that sense that he knew he had a big, extensive battle career, right? He wasn't like a George Patton or somebody that knew how to maneuver around enemy lines, especially the fact that they didn't come with any kind of military machinery. They didn't come with breaking down wall stuff like that. You know, they didn't have anything, maybe swords, maybe uh, basic weaponry. But Joshua wasn't that person. What qualified Joshua to be a successful leader? He listened to the Lord, right? He obeyed the Lord. He submitted himself to the Lord's will, and the Lord made him successful. It was the Lord who was going to bring about victory. And that's what he tells him. My servant is dead. Arise, go across. And he gives him the same promises that he was given to, Mo- that was given to Moses. And Joshua was going to be the one to take it. So the charge to Joshua. Then there's two. This was covered. I wasn't here for it. But it's what a story. There's, you know, if you look at the, the first six chapters here, really there's only two people mentioned by name besides the Lord. Right? There's Joshua and there's Rahab. I mean, that's significant. Joshua being the leader, but Rahab, or of course Moses is mentioned, but Rahab is the only Gentile mentioned out of that whole people that were there. And the significance of that is that, you know, to me it's a blessing to think that, you know, here's a, here's a person who was outside of that covenant, who was outside those promises, but God reached in and grabbed them. You know, she, she was under the punishment. She was under the, iniqu- the iniquity of the Amorites was now full. Remember, Abraham was not given the land over 400 years ago. He was promised it, but it wasn't the right time yet. There's going to be a time. So in the same time as God was giving the promises to Abraham and when they were going to be fulfilled, God was also going to bring judgment on those people. So incrementally, their iniquity was growing and growing and growing to the point that God said, this is enough. They're going to be punished, right? Those Amorites are going to be wiped off the map because of their iniquity. But this woman was saved, her and all her household, and she has a significant part, especially the fact that she is one of the descendants. She is from her, right? Her descendants came David, right? And we know from David's line came the Lord Jesus. But in any case... She is mentioned here, and she is one that God reached out and grabbed. Um, some of the highlights from this chapter is that there's no mention, if you notice, of any kind of spy like you would think. Well, what kind of, you know, Joshua sends it out to spy, but there's nothing mentioned about guard postings. There's nothing mentioned of how thick the wall is. Um, it was mentioned when they first went in to spy, Joshua was in there. Well, what did they say? They saw giant people. They sold walled cities and chariots and things like that. There's nothing mentioned here. All it is is that the people came in. They hear that the, uh, the Lord has already has dried up the Jordan and the people are afraid, right? The fear of the Lord was upon those people and the spies hear that and that was enough for them that the Lord was going to bring about victory. But nothing mentioned about any kind of uh, uh, in, intel, as it were, military intel or about the enemy 
except for the fact that these two spies go in and there's an opportunity for Rahab to come out of that judgment, right? And she's ultimately, she is saved from that. And, you know, it's quite interesting when you think about that. Um, you know, w- you think about Rahab. Now, I'm not, I'm not sure if she was saved at one point. Obviously, I believe she is going to be in heaven, but she was in the midst of iniquity, right? Think about Lot. Lot was in that city, and all around him was adversity. Nobody was for the things that he was for. He was called a righteous soul, it says in Peter chapter 2. And, and there's Rahab in that place under judgment. And how is she going to act? And how is God going to save her? And how is God still going to bring judgment on those people who are evildoers? In this world, um, you know, there's a lot of iniquity. We're in a world of iniquity and sinfulness. And sometimes we think, well, one of these shows that I, I, I used to watch, uh, sometimes I catch it out again, but it's a, it's a, re, it's a true, sto- uh, true reality, but it follows these uh, detectives and polices, and, they, and especially homicide. And it always interests me, you know, detective work and police line work, but at the end, I always look at what, sometimes they'll put the, the conviction and what the sentence is. And sometimes the sentence to me, it feels like it doesn't match what the crime is. And you almost think, man, they're almost getting away with it. You know, where is justice in this world? Well, this chapter tells us that God does bring justice. And God knows how to keep those who are evildoers under judgment. That's what Peter talks about. And yet save those who are righteous. And so we can walk with confidence in this world that God is going to bring us through temptation. Right? He's going to be able to save us. That's what he says about Noah. Noah was preserved. It wasn't that Noah was saved when he got into the ark. It says he was preserved through it. He was already a saved man. He was preserved through that calamity, and he came out on the other side successful. And so God's able to preserve somebody through judgment, through a world of iniquity, through adversity, and yet keep those who are, are, are conducting their lives in the sphere of fleshly and, and lustful sin, right? That's their only bent. And it grieves the Christian soul, but yet God is able to keep those under judgment and yet rescue those who are righteous. And really that story is, is, bears witness to that in chapter 2. And then 3, Jamel mentioned the crossing the Jordan. And 4 also is the memorial stones. What we'll just mention about 4, because it's very key before the conquest of the land, is the first thing that you're going to find when you're walking through the Christian life to have victory is to have a memorial. Jamel mentioned this. But what was commanded by God was they were going to bring up these, these stones, right? And they were going to drop them in a certain place. And they're going to be there until this day, it says. But Israel was going to remember where they came from, right? They're about to go into the land to conquest. And, and maybe they'll start doubting when they start seeing these big walled cities and they see this massive army. Some of it says that it was as the sand of the sea. The Bible uses that term a lot. And when it talks about, it talks about armies gathering against uh, God's people, you know, where's, is God going to come through for us? Well, we just got to look back at the stones. What do those stones tell us? Well, he, first of all, he dried up that river. That river was impassable. And it was not, they weren't going to be able to get past. Well, let's go back a little bit further. Well, we can look at the manor. Remember, the manor was, was, was uh, taken as a memorial and put into the Ark of the Covenant. And then we can look a little further. There was a memorial uh, um, at the Red Sea. God dried it up. And even further than that, 
all the way back to the deliverance from Egypt, right? That was God's mighty hand and God's arm, outstretched arm, it says, pulled them out of that place. They had no chance. They were under slavery. They were under bondage, but God was the one that rescued them. And so any time that they had some doubts or any time they needed some encouragement, they'd go back to the memorial and, they'd go, and then we'd look forward to what God was doing in their life. So a memorial is very important. We have a memorial, right? We celebrated this morning. God has uh, asked us, uh, as often as we do this, the Lord Jesus Christ, as often as we do this, break the bread, drink the cup, um, you do show forth, show forth the Lord's death until he comes. So this is something, it doesn't have to always be on Sunday morning, right? This could be at Sunday night, this could be on Monday morning. As often as you do it, um, these are memorial things, right? They're not... Uh, they're not mystical or some kind of spiritual where we're drinking it and we get recharged spiritually. But what they're called to do is to bring back to our memory what, we, what God has done for us, right? He was the one who rescued us, but he was the one who took upon humanity. And we see his love, we see his grace poured out there on the cross and what he did for us. God has left us memorials too because we are very forgetful. But in any case, if a person's going to have... a Victory in this world, right? They've got to look back at the memorials and look back at where they came. And so then chapter 5 starts talking about circumcision. We won't cover too much about that except for the fact that circumcision, there was a failure to, um, there was a, circumcision was given back at Abraham, right? And it was going to be a sign to them. And the cutting off of the flesh, right? Speaking about uh, a, a new life, right? But there was, there was a failure to pass that on to this generation, and those men of war, it says, that were circumcised in, the old, in, in Egypt, right? You had to be circumcised to take part in the Passover. And so for, for 40 years, these people were not. So there was no Passover, there was no nothing. And so God was the one that initiated it. And God was the one that told Joshua, go in there and perform this act. And what does it say next? They, they celebrated the Passover. And it's a blessing to our hearts that... Um, you know, you might be far away from the Lord at this point, but it's the Lord that's going to initiate, right, to bring you back, right? There's still going to be some steps, right? Joshua could have said, no, thank you, but it says that the Lord has rolled away the reproach of Egypt, right? The reproach of the world, he rolled it away. The, the shame of the world, and let's go forward, right? So the first thing had to deal with was their hearts, right? Let's go forward. Well, the first thing was the memorial stones. The second thing was their heart and the circumcision, and... Looking at the last of five, we'll, we'll spend probably the majority of our time here, is, is, is they got to meet the captain. And really, if there's going to be any victory in this life, in the Christian life, you've got to meet with the captain. And he needs to be the forefront of, of the Christian's life and the Christian's vision. And so looking at, and he had to be in this time, but let's just look at it historically. So... Let's make some comments here in, in verse 13. It says this, Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho. The first thing we think, um, we see, is Joshua's by Jericho. We're not given what Joshua was thinking or what Joshua was planning or, or maybe he had some kind of uh, magnification device and he was looking for any weaknesses. It doesn't say anything like that. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm not sure you know, where you're at in your life, but there, I'm sure there's come the part... Uh, where there's an there's insurmountable task or problem in front of you. How am I going to get around this? Or how am I going to get over it? Or how am I going to get through it? Joshua was probably saying that for him. It says, while he was by that, the captain appeared. And, and, 
in any case, here he is by, by Jericho, and he lifts up his eyes, and he sees a man opposite him with his sword drawn. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And the first thing we want to look at is, well, who is this? Well, at looking at this, and I think with the, the points that I'll point out, I think this is a, a, an appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not something new before his actual coming to earth, right, in human form. Um, just a few books before, remember Abraham. Abraham was sitting there in his tent, and he sees three men come to him. And I don't know what indicated that he understood that this was divine, but maybe because it was the hottest part of the day and nobody's out there walking like that. I don't know what it was. But in any case, he understood that these people were divine. Two of them, we understand, I think were angels, right? They were the two that continued on to Sodom in the destruction, carrying out the destruction of that city. But the one seemed to be God, because God was talking to him. And he got, it says that the Lord said to him, and the Lord said to himself. And so he, he has this conversation with God himself. And here in 13, we'll look at a couple points here, but I think this is an appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's also other ones. We look at the angel of the Lord. Sometimes you see that, uh, especially when you think of the story of before Samson's birth, there's a story with, uh, with his parents and a certain conversation. You, it's got to be more than an angel. And you can reference that uh, to Revelation. If you remember the, uh, the vision that John had in Revelation, there came to point, a point where he sees the angel, right, and what he ends up doing, he's falling down on his face. I'm sure any of us would would do that but it says that the angel says don't fall down and worship me you know worship the lord and so the angel and those angelic beings will always deflect that worship to god and rightfully so and so in this case uh, we see that joshua ended up falling down on his face to worship but it was the right posture for him but let's look at this it says this he asked him a question it's a very important question it says as he sees this man with his sword in his hand his sword is basically out of his, his uh, holding place, whatever he's doing, but it's in his hand. And uh, Sam actually brought this out to me, and I thought it was an interesting study. But anytime you see that, that posture of the sword drawn in somebody's hand, it's always a picture of judgment. And in this case, it is, right? What did God come to do? There was two parts. One, he was going to fulfill the promises to Abraham. He gave him over 400 years ago. Two, he was going to punish those Amorites. And so there he is with his sword in his hand. He means business. But also you think of the other, there's other stories where um, David sinned at the end, towards the end of his life. And the angel of the Lord, right, he had three choices he was going to give him. All of them were bad because of his sin. But he ends up choosing not to be running from his enemies as he did when he was younger, before he became king. And he, choose, he chose pestilence. And it was the angel of the Lord that came out and started uh, killing people. And he ends up stopping. He stopped over the present day where the temple was going to be, but it was the, uh, the floor of Onan. But what did he see? He saw a man with his sword drawn, right? It was a picture of judgment. And in this case, here's a man with his sword drawn. And he asked the question. He says, are, Joshua asked the question, are you for us or for our adversaries? And this is a very important question, not just when we're going through you know, trials or stuff, but anytime, anything that comes my way, Anything that I experience, anything that is new, uh, I, you know, eat things that you wouldn't even think about, maybe like a job promotion, you think, well, that's always going to be good, right? Get more money. Is this for me or is this against me? 
Joshua asks a very important question. Are you for us or are you against us? And the Christians should be asking that question, too, for anything that comes through, Uh, uh, especially when it comes to teaching, Uh, places where you're at in your life, uh, different situations. Is this for me or is this going to go against what God has for my life? How do we know? Well, we have God's word in front of us, right? And we can use this as a screen to siphon out those things and we can get rid of that which is not for us, but we can follow that which is for us. And so he asked that question to this person. He had no idea who it was. But the answer, I think, gives us a clear picture that it is uh, an appearance of God. And it says, no, rather I indeed come as the captain of the host of the Lord. And so he introduced himself as the captain. But the first thing he says, no, rather I come as this. So the answer to Joshua's question was no or neither. I am not that or that, but rather Joshua, I'm come as your captain, right? That's what he's telling him. Joshua, I'm not for your side. You're on my side. And so if Joshua's going to have victory, right, he had to have the memorial stones. He had to have that memory of what God did in his past. He had to have obedience, right, the circumcision of the flesh, putting that thing off and, and, and enjoying that new life. But thirdly, he had to meet with the captain and understood that he was going to be the one to lead them. He was going to be the one to bring about victory. It wasn't going to be Joshua's intellect. It wasn't going to be Joshua's know-how. It wasn't going to be Joshua's battle experience. It was going to be the captain and him following the captain. His rank is, is that of captain or leader, um, somebody who's on front. And he says, the host of the Lord. Um, that title is, uh, we were reading actually in Zechariah uh, today, but thus says the Lord of hosts. It says that a lot in that um, chapter. The Lord of hosts literally means the Lord of armies, angelic armies. It's not the armies that, that Joshua was leading. It wasn't that army. It's the angelic army. And so this person is coming with a force that's unstoppable. Right? That's, um, we read... And in one story in Sennacherib, when he surrounded that city or his people surrounded the city and there was uh, there was an intervention, a divine intervention. Right. God sent an angel, one angel, and he ends up killing one hundred and eighty five thousand, if you can imagine. And so this person has come as the captain of this angelic force. And Joshua says that. So his position right as captain or as leader, that needs to be the forefront before we go into this Christian life and achieve victory, is to have him out front. It says this, that Joshua fell to his face to the earth and bowed down and says, what has my Lord to say to his servant? And so here we see that if it wasn't just an angel or some angelic being, he would have deflected that worship. But Joshua, rightly so, falls down on his face, right? Recognizes that he's before God and his response is something that we need to respond to when it comes to any, uh, any kind of direction that the Lord would give is when we come into this word, what has the Lord to say to my servant? That's a good prayer, I think, to pray. Um, there's a couple of you know, one-sentence lines that I, I find, in especially Psalms, that are good to pray before you start reading God's word. This is a great one. What has my Lord to say to his servant? That's it. You know, Not anything elaborate. What do you have to say to me? And God will speak to him. Well, He says here in 15, as captain of the Lord's host 
And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And that would uh, recalls our minds to where else did God tell somebody to do that? Well, that was at the burning bush, right? Joshua's predecessor. As, Joshua, uh, as Moses uh, turned aside, he's walking there in the wilderness. Remember, he was running from the law, essentially. He killed somebody. And so he ran, and he was living in the wilderness, in the desert, and something grabs his attention at around 80 years old. It's, it's God, right? It's a burning bush. What does is, what is Moses, what does God tell the Moses? Remove your sandals from the place you're standing is holy. And so there's Joshua right before the conquest of Jericho. Um, he's told to remove his sandals and he falls down in worship. And Joshua did so. And there's no other question. There's, none, there's no other conversation there. There's not anything about, um, you know, Joshua, here's the plan. Obviously, the plan is given there in chapter 6, but there's not any kind of blueprint. Joshua isn't handed here. This is exactly what's going to happen. Uh, you're going to march around the city of Jericho, and then AI, you're going to set a trap for them. You're going to, first going to be defeated by them. Then you're going to set a trap, and they're going to come out and get you. And then uh, these people are going to come and deceive you. There's nothing like that. And you're going to say that to, you know, to the sun to stand still. You know, sometimes I wonder, as Christians, we kind of want that. We kind of want to see what happens, in the, in, you know, happens ahead of time. Well, am I, is this going to happen in my life? Is this going to happen? Am I going to be married to this person? Well, we're not given that knowledge. But we, what we are given is there is a person who knows the future, right? And he is, he is directing our life. And Joshua, you know, you've been told to go out and do this. I haven't given you the game plan. I haven't given you the blueprint. I haven't given you the military plans yet. But you just follow me. You meet with the captain first. You keep him ahead of your life, and then the victory is going to come and follow after. And even the, in chapter six, uh, I mean, what what army marches around a city one time? I mean, not saying anything, blowing trumpets. I mean, what kind of game plan is that? And sometimes the Lord's tactics in our life don't appear to be intelligent sometimes they don't appear to be something that's going to bring about victory and maybe we want to deviate from those plans and say you know what no i think what i'm going to do is i'm going to try to scale that wall tonight and get some people inside and then maybe they can raise the gate and we can go in there when they're sleeping you know it doesn't say joshua did that but that would have been disastrous for him to not listen to the lord right he followed those plans to the T. And so there, there's going to be come a time, maybe already came, right? There's something that happens, and the Lord has shown you the way to go. And it might have not been a way that seemed smart to you at that time, but in the end, you find out it's exactly what the Lord, it's exactly what needed to happen, and the way it needed to happen, the Lord allowed it to happen that way, right? And so have the confidence as a believer. While we're in this Christian life, there's going to be warfare, there's going to be battles. Get used to it, right? It's, if it's easy for you, you've given up in a sense. You've given way. And you said, you know what? I, I, I said this several times. I mean, I love this quote from um, Bill McDonald. But he, you know, he just talks about how in his life, just people have just crashed or pulled off right on the side of the road. They said, I had enough, right? I just want to be complacent at where I'm at, and I don't want to go forward. Joshua is a book about conquest. Go forward and take the land. Christian, go forward and claim victory. You already are a saved person. You're on your way to heaven. But to enjoy the spoils of victory can be had right now. And if you go forward and take the land.
But he had to meet with the captain. And he had to identify, actually, I failed to mention this, he had to identify who that person was. A lot of people know who God is, right? You'll see them wearing a cross. They'll say, no, that's God, or that's where he went. And they'll have some kind of picture or some icon or something of him and say, well, that's God. But they haven't made him Lord in their life. They, they understand who he is, and they can identify, well, that's who he is. But really what, what's happening is Joshua's in his own heart, is saying, he's the one going to be leading. He's going to be the one to call the shots, not me. I'm following him. And that's how Joshua was going to be successful. That's how Joshua was going to be exalted. It says, God gave him success, not only in the battlefield, right, but among the people of the Lord, right? He was exalted among them. So God has given us a a blueprint, in a sense, as you look at Joshua, right? The way to be successful is to be at his feet, as it were. Right, to go down, to be a servant. The Lord Jesus has given us that example, right? Um, think about the foot washing. I mean, that's the lowest place a person can be, not even serving food, but a person that comes around and washes the feet. The Lord Jesus, the Son of God, did that to his disciples, right? Giving us an example. But anyway, the way down is the, is the way up, excuse me, is to go down. And so to recognize who the captain is, right? He's the, he's the Son of God. Have the Lord Jesus Christ at the forefront. Not only that, but in your heart, right? And to recognize that his position as your leader. And so just a couple of things uh, to encourage us as um, in our Christian life, right? Joshua is an ancient book, right? It's about a story that, um, you know, most of it won't touch us, right? This is about a nation. This, some of these promises and, and, these, and these actions happened a long time ago, Right? But God has deemed it so to have it in his word. So if it's in his Bible, right, we need to consider that and take that to heart. But there is a lot of application here uh, for us. And there's a battleground, right? We're, we're part of a battleground, not only just in our own, own hearts and our own Christian life, right? But we're battling for other men's souls, right? There's an enemy that does not want to get rid of them, does not want to let go. But um, the Lord has already conquered the enemy, uh, the greatest enemies, too, of mankind. And he already has victory, and now we have the opportunity to walk in it and to have a victorious life, but one that has, uh, that has the captain in the forefront, right? The captain of the Lord, so it's the Lord Jesus Christ, and one who's following him, right, wholeheartedly is the one who will experience victory. And so just some application as we look at Joshua, and uh, we look forward to continuing this study in the days to come if the Lord Jesus permits. So let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we just thank you for this day. And we just thank you for this uh, story, Lord. It's an old story about Jericho and the walls com- coming down. But Lord, such great rich uh, information that you have provided uh, for us, Lord. And as we look at the uh, insurmountable Jerichos in our own life, Lord, we understand that you have already given victory. And Lord, we just pray that when we are uh, disheartened and discouraged about the events that are happening in our life, Lord, that we would just turn to you instead of turning to other uh, means to cope with these situations, but turn to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's able to come to our aid to assist us, to give us grace and help and time to need, and to come alongside and assist. Lord, we thank you for him. We thank you for his position now as great high priest and sitting at your right hand. Lord, we just pray that we would make that in our own hearts and not just 
verbally know that and intellectually know that, but actually make that in our own hearts. And, Lord, the Christian cannot be defeated if that is the case because he already has won the victory. So we thank you for him, and we just seek to worship and praise him the rest of this day. In Lord Jesus' name we pray. Amen.